I invite you, if you'd like, to turn to uh, Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9, we'll look at uh, Exodus 9, 13 through uh, chapter 10, verse 29. All right, before we read the 7th, 8th, and ninth plagues, let's, let's pray together. Our Father, we're... Uh, excited, uh, delighted that we can uh, open up your word and in a language we understand, uh, read it, and uh, meditate on it. So we pray that you'd powerfully be at work in each of us. Uh, we are each laid bare before you and you know what we need. So where we are uh, broken, we pray that you'll heal us. Where we are discouraged, we ask that you would encourage us. And where we are filled with pride, we pray that you'd humble us. And if any of us here are lost, we pray that you'd save us for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, Exodus 9 at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field. Uh, and is not brought home, will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail? Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. The flax and the barley was struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, 
just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left uh, to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither you or as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand yet that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh when he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, uh, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant, every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but... The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts this morning. 
So beloved congregation of hope and everyone with us here this morning, as uh, I mentioned from the start, we're looking at the plagues and rounds of or, uh, groups of three. The first three plagues are, are really uh, a portrait of the whole here. God is going after Egypt's gods. And we see that clearly in the first three plagues and plagues four, five, and six. Again, the, the plagues one, four, and seven all begin in the morning. And there's no introduction to the last plague, sort of three rounds of three. And then in plagues four, five, and six, we see God separating the Egyptians from the Israelites. So God's showing that, that he's judging the Egyptians and not judging the Israelites. And what's happening in this third round of plagues, which we're going to look at kind of on a massive scale, really just looking at Pharaoh only. Maybe we'll come back and look at them more individually. But we're gonna, what we're noticing is that in chapter 9, verse 14, these are really plagues that are directed now at Pharaoh's heart. 9 verse 14 says, this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, but literally it's on your heart. So the first two rounds of plagues, plagues 1, 2, 3, and 4, 5, and 6, were a display of God's power over the Egyptian gods, uh, small g as it were in Egypt, and a display of God's power over the Egyptians only where he showed favor to Israel. But now God's upping the ante and he's going after the number one guy. Because if you're in Egypt, the number one God is the king, Pharaoh. So now God's going after the Egyptian capital G, as it were, in the Egyptian mind. So now it's God to God. Now it's Israel's God going after Egypt's number one God. And what God's going to do is just display for all the world to see his glory. And he tells Pharaoh why he's going to do this, because I want everybody talking about me. The, my glory is going to go out into all the earth. People are going to be talking about this. And that's exactly what happens, beloved, when God takes over Pharaoh and destroys him. And I want us to see as we look at Pharaoh, I think the, the passages particularly, we could spend numerous sermons here, but I want us to look at uh, Pharaoh's heart because God's sending these, these plagues, eight, uh, seven, eight, nine, and then ultimately 10 as well on Pharaoh's heart. He's dealing with something on the inside of Pharaoh. And I think it's very helpful for us to take a look at this. And I want us to see just three things. Number one, hard hearts can temporarily look like soft hearts. Number two, hard hearts are inherently destructive. And then number three, hard hearts ultimately glorify God. We'll take a look at uh, some of those ways. So uh, first, let's take a look at how hard hearts can temporarily look like soft hearts. Uh, again, I want us to keep our eyes, uh, especially on the seventh plague here. Um, the Lord actually spends quite a bit of time explaining what he's going to do to Pharaoh. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, as I mentioned, he's, he's talking about how these plagues are going to come on Pharaoh's heart. He informs Pharaoh in case he wasn't already aware that he could have killed Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. So look, I'm, I'm keeping you alive for a purpose. If I wanted to, I could have wiped you out by now. So, so, the people of Israel, so the people of Egypt and Pharaoh are alive for a reason. We see this in chapter 9, verses 15 to 16. By now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. So the Lord's informing Pharaoh of this. The Lord also, in verse 17 of chapter 9, called out Pharaoh's pride. You're still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. So now the Lord's calling Pharaoh to the mat, as it were. The reason that this is happening is because you're proud, Pharaoh. You're, you're exalting yourself over my people. And then he gave Pharaoh a chance, actually, to avoid the plague. God, in his grace, came and 
uh, chapter 9, verses 18 to 19 said, there, Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast who isn't under shelter is going to be, is going to be killed, is going to be wiped out. So plenty of servants did, but there were plenty of servants that didn't. So who knows the percentage, but some Egyptians were bringing their servants and their livestock into shelter, into barns, whatever this looked like. And Pharaoh uh, and, and many others were not. And then the plague hit. Now Israel or Egypt had been in existence, what, uh, almost two millennia, 1,500 to 2,000 years, 1,700 years or so. And nothing like this had ever been seen before. So again, this plague, all the plagues, they are not some natural occurrence that just took place at, at the right time of year, timed out by Moses and Aaron and God. These are miraculous things. And every time they're so miraculous, Pharaoh never says, oh, we've seen this before. Oh, don't worry, it'll stop. Oh, don't worry, this is just the Nile doing its yearly thing or the locusts, we've seen them before too. No, this is something that when happens, Pharaoh says, uncle, uncle, that, that's, that's just enough. I, I can't handle it. Go pray to your God, have him stop. Pharaoh doesn't even say, I'll stop it myself. The God of Egypt is on his knees saying, your God must be more powerful. Pharaoh's actually acknowledging that the Israel's God is more powerful than him because he's looking at, at, their God, at Israel's God's messengers, Moses and Aaron, saying, ask your God to stop it. So the plague hit, and Pharaoh's response to all of this is interesting. It's in verse 27. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. Now this looks like genuine repentance. Remember, God's dealing with Pharaoh's heart right now. He said, I'm, I'm sending these plagues. They're going to come all the way inside of you, Pharaoh. They're going to deal with the internal man, as it were. And Pharaoh says, look, I've had enough. This time I've sinned. Now there's two things that stand out about Pharaoh's uh, sort of um, repentance, as it were, what looks like genuine repentance. Number one, he says, this time I've sinned. He didn't know in all of his sin. He didn't know in the, all the plagues before this, plagues one through six. But he's saying, this time, maybe we can say, yep, I've sinned. I messed up this time. But that, that's it. That's all he's going to own. But maybe the most important one is this. Verse 28, plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. Not plead with the Lord to have mercy on my soul. He alone is God. I'm not God. I've been exalting myself. I need him to save me and deliver me. But look, I'm tired of the thunder and hail. I don't like the consequences of my sin. I'm tired of all the destruction that, that my sin is causing me. It's making my life uncomfortable. Remember, as went Egypt, so went Pharaoh's reputation. Pharaoh's seeing his own land, as it were, destroyed. And he's like, man, this isn't going very good for my reign. <laughs> this isn't good at all. So he doesn't like the consequences of his sin, but he's not necessarily concerned about the sin itself, about exalting himself over the Lord. I think this is important for us to look at, beloved, at least briefly, that hard hearts contemporarily look and sound like soft hearts. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, in a sermon he wrote, it was, uh, true grace distinguished from the experience of devils, wrote this, nothing that unbelievers do or ever experience can be any sure sign of grace. And then he went on to apply it this way. It may be inferred that it is no certain sign of persons being savingly converted, that they have been subjects of very great distress and terrors of mind through apprehensions of God's wrath and fears of damnation. This leads me to conclude at least this much, beloved. Never be content in our lives with mere conviction of sin. 
Never be cont- let us never be content with, with being scared of uh, and afraid of the consequences of our sin. If that's all we have, then we have nothing more than Pharaoh. Now, I hope we don't like the consequences of our sin because they, they destroy our relationship with the Lord, our fellowship with Him, the sweet fellowship, and our sins also hurt other people. Our sins are very destructive. But Pharaoh didn't like the consequences of sin too. That's all he had. And so if that's all we have, then it doesn't necessarily mean that we're a believer. James, in James 2.19, writes this, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Demons are trembling. Pharaoh, as it were right here, is trembling. He, he can't believe what's going on. He's, we're not told he's shaking, but you can, almost the same portrait, shuddering. This is just destroying everything. Beloved, even the demons shudder before God. They have an emotional reaction to the glory of God, as it were. They're just fright, fear. God is who He is, and they are oftentimes better theologians than we are. You might be asking, how can I know that I'm not a pretend, almost uh, sort of Pharaoh-like Christian? Uh, Just a few things that might help us. If we have only a fear of hell and no love for Jesus, then we don't have more than Pharaoh. And that should alarm us. Because when the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, beloved, then, then it's not just that we fear hell. It's that we look forward to God's presence. We love Him. We, we love Jesus. And love, it's not just fear that comes in, but in addition to that, love. Love for God above all, with, with everything inside of us, and love for our neighbors as well. Here might be, here's the second thing. If we repent to God of our sins only when the consequences become dire, then we have no more than Pharaoh had. Again, sometimes God uses the consequences of our sin to bring us to repentance. It's absolutely true. But if that's all that ever happens, beloved, and we're just afraid of the consequences and scared of them, and then when they're lifted, like the plagues are gone, and we change our minds every time, then we have nothing more than Pharaoh did. It doesn't mean that we're lost, but it means we have nothing more than Pharaoh. So it should alarm us. Father, why am I only concerned about how sin brings pain into my life? rather than concerned about how my sin destroys my fellowship with you and hurts other people and doesn't advance your kingdom. So, beloved, where, where are you? I've, I've had asked myself this week the same things. Like, I find myself way too concerned about the consequences that my sin brings into my life, way too concerned about that, than I should be about how my sin uh, does way more than that in my relationship with God and with other people. Where are you at in this, beloved? Because if all we're concerned about are the consequences, how it brings pain into our life and to our reputation. Again, Pharaoh's reputation is on the line here. Either he's God or Israel's God is God. But someone's getting kicked off the throne here and looks like Pharaoh's starting to slip. I mean, he's not sitting all the way on the throne anymore. And he starts to get really concerned now. His, his kingdom's slipping. And all he's concerned about is the slipping of his kingdom. Beloved, where are we? Uh, where are we sinning right now? And nobody's found out or the consequences at this point are still manageable, but we really should be turning around. We, we really should be repenting because sin is sin and God's not pleased with it and, and we should be living to please the Lord. Well, secondly, uh, hard hearts are destructive. Destructive. Um, one theme through all the plagues is Pharaoh's hard heart. That's where we're, gonna, we're focusing on. We could have looked at it at the beginning or here or way at the end, but we're looking at it this time. Uh, with every plague, we're told about Pharaoh's heart. Interesting. Um, not about uh, 
uh, Moses and Aaron's heart, but about Pharaoh's heart and what God's doing through it. And I want to just briefly walk through each plague, how Pharaoh's heart is described, because there's sort of a transition uh, in the midst of it. So in the first plague, we're told Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. And then uh, chapter 7, verse 22, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. Second plague, chapter 8, verse 15, when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart. Third plague, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Fourth plague, chapter 8, verse 32, Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also. So, so up through the fourth plague, with that word also, we're given to understand that so far it's been Pharaoh hardening his own heart. He did it in the fourth plague also, which assumes he's done it before. Then in the fifth plague, chapter 9, verse 7, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. The sixth plague, chapter 9, verse 12, here's the first time we get something different. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Plague number 7, chapter 9, 35, so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And then plagues 8, 9, and 10, it's all the Lord doing it. Chapter 10, 20, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Chapter 11, 12, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And chapter 14, verse 8, describing what happened in the 10th plague, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So it begins by Pharaoh hardening his heart, and it ends very clearly with the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. So Pharaoh's the actor initially, and then finally it's the Lord at the end, as it were, uh, being described as the one hardening Pharaoh's heart. I want us to notice just three things about, about what's going on with this sort of trend. Number one is that hearts can become irreversibly hardened. At the beginning of the plagues, it's Pharaoh hardening his heart. At the end of the plagues, it's the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. And it's the Lord doing this, as it were. He gave Pharaoh what he wanted. Pharaoh is saying, I'm going to harden my heart. I'm not going to let the people go. And God says, okay. C.S. Lewis put it really well, I think, in a way that I think can help us. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, all that are in hell, choose it. What we're kind of looking at here is God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. The Bible teaches it. It's in many ways hard to explain it. But the Lord rose up Pharaoh for this purpose. Paul makes that clear in Romans 9. He told Moses and Aaron right at the beginning. But it's not as though Pharaoh were unwilling Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh chose this way. And the Lord, by the end of the plagues, is basically saying, you want it this way? Okay, there you go. And we're told at the end that the Lord was doing the hardening. I want each of us, I think, to consider the ways that we're saying, Lord, my way, my will. I want my life to go this way, Lord. I'm going to do things my own way. What are the sins that we feel we can't live without? Because at the beginning of the plague narrative, Pharaoh wouldn't let go of his workforce. He wouldn't do it. By the end of the plague narrative, he can't do it. At the beginning, he wouldn't. Pharaoh hardened his heart. At the end of the plague narrative, he, he couldn't. The Lord hardened his heart, cemented it in place, as it were. It's an interesting progress through it. Beloved, it happens with us too. As born-again Christians, I want to be careful. I'm not saying we're pharaohs because we're not. The Lord saved us. What we learn about the hardening effect of sin also has application, I think, to, to believers. At first, we won't let go of our sin. But if we keep persisting in it, eventually we can't. 
It's almost impossible to let go of our sin. This is why any talk of repentance in our lives, which has to do with next week or next month or next year, is really damaging. Uh, The Lord calls us to repent now. So I don't know the things that you're doing. You probably don't know the things that I'm doing on the inside, on the outside. Or we're thinking, you know what? It, It doesn't matter if I keep doing this. I can always turn around later. Oh, beloved, our hearts really can grow hard. I think it's fascinating what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Catch this. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, did you hear who he was talking to? Brothers and sisters. Take care, brothers and sisters. He's talking to Christians. Take care, brothers. So, beloved, it's possible that there, there can be in us this evil, unbelieving heart that leads us away from God, but, but we're called to encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of us may be hardened by sin. Again, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Our hearts can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is very deceitful, beloved. It comes in small waves, and then it eventually takes uh, us over. The second thing I want us to notice about uh, Pharaoh's hard heart is that hard hearts happen gradually. Now, if the devil came to us today and and said this, or if we could see that our pride was going to leave us absolutely friendless and all alone, how many of us would choose uh, to be proud in this very day and fail to repent of it? We probably all repent of it because we don't want to be left alone and absolutely friendless. If If we could see today that our lustful looks would end in an affair and the destruction of our family, how many of us would would still entertain the notion of looking at something we shouldn't? If this very day we could see that the smallest ways we might cheat or the smallest ways we might steal would lead to embezzlement and jail time for the rest of our lives, how many of us would still dilly-dally with that stuff? We wouldn't. But sin works slowly, beloved. Some have said that the plagues took like six or eight weeks to unfold. It starts slowly in Pharaoh, him hardening his heart. And by the end, it's just, it just the Lord's hardening and now it's over. It's done. <laughs> now we knew that from the beginning, the Lord told us he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But as the narratives walk through, we start to see that this isn't God hardening someone unwilling. This is Pharaoh hardening his own heart. Pharaoh is in this. In other words, God doing it. God is doing it, beloved, but Pharaoh is responsible for it. So, beloved, what are the small things that we might be engaged in now? We don't think they're a big deal. Just think them all the way through to the end. And hopefully that can encourage us to turn around. And then a third thing I want us to see in this point is hard hearts make us blind to misery. In chapter 10, verse 7, we're told, Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man, Moses, be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand, do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? So <laughs> the magicians, the servants of Pharaoh, they're walking around here. They're looking at this like, Pharaoh, you need to get out a little bit. You, you're stuck in your palace. You're stuck in your comfortable life. Have you, you need to hop on Air Force One. And you need to start traveling around a little bit because Egypt is destroyed. Don't you understand that yet? Your hardness of heart is ruining uh, your reputation. It's ruining your life. It's ruining everything about you. It's ruining people's lives. And Pharaoh, as it were, is we're given to understand, isn't fully aware of yet how destructive his sin is, how hard destructive his hard heart is. It's, it's ironic, isn't it? In an effort to make his name great, 
in Pharaoh's effort to make his name great. He's going to go toe-to-toe with God. God comes to him and says, let my people go, and Pharaoh just, he's going to pick this fight, as it were. You, You bet. In an effort to make his name great and exalt himself over God and his people, Pharaoh actually looks like a total fool. Pharaoh destroys his own reputation. If we don't believe that hardness of heart can make us blind to our own sin, all we have to do is ask Satan. If we don't believe that hardness of heart can make us blind to the destructive effects of it, to how destructive it can be, and to not seeing how destructive things are, all we have to do is look at Satan, beloved. He's blind to the fact that if Jesus goes to the cross, he's finished. If Satan was smart, after the first round of temptations, Matthew 4, he'd have done another round and another one. Make him go 60 days without food. Make him go 90. (laughs) Do whatever we have to do. Keep tempting him. Because if this righteous person goes all the way to the cross, then all of a sudden we've got a Genesis 3.15 problem. We've got a crushing of the serpent's head. But Satan's not that smart. He's, he's blinded by his own hard heart, as it were, his own unbelief. And it eventually turns right around on him. If he was wise and could see how destructive his own, his own life was, uh, he would never have entered Judas to betray Jesus. But this is where his pride, remember Satan fell, pride. His pride, I'm going to get this Christ. I'm going to show him up. Just like Pharaoh's pride, I'm going to get this God. These people are not leaving. Pride becomes embedded and makes us immovable, as it were. And Satan says, I'm going to take him down one at a time. And ultimately, it's his downfall. Satan, great. You put Christ on the cross. You use Herod, and you use Pontius Pilate, and you use Judas Iscariot. Use all these people to get Jesus on the cross. And you can say goodbye. Because you're done. Because now your time is marked. Because you just put the Lord of glory right where he needs to be at Calvary, dying for sinners, crushing you who had the power of death, defeating you, and rising out of the grave. Beloved, that's a portrait, just a a great portrait of the way God uses even hard hearts to redeem us, to, to, to open the way of salvation. Beloved, I want to ask you this. Maybe a different way of putting it is this. Have you considered the way that your pride and my pride... And our hard hearts blind us to see just how destructive they really are. Have we considered all the things that we're blinded to by now? Hopefully five years we see it, and hopefully ten years from now we look back on five years from now and we see it as well, because that means we're growing. Beloved, our hard hearts, where they're hardened, where we're stuck in sin, they're very destructive. Pharaoh couldn't see it, Satan couldn't see it. And now that we're in the kingdom, we can see it, and we can turn around from it, and we can press on in this in this life. So I think Pharaoh teaches us to at least take a look at this in our life. Where are we becoming, as it were, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and needing to turn around? And then, thirdly, I want us to look at this. Hard hearts glorify God. Exodus 9, 16, For this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So there's a couple ways God's going to glorify himself through hard hearts. Number one is by making his name great everywhere. Um, later in Exodus 10, verses 1 to 3, told Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandsons, we've got future generations, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. So... Pharaoh's hard heart was God's way of getting the word out about who he is. Um, it worked. 
Psalm 78, verses 47 to 48, He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore figs with sleet. He gave over their cattle to the hail, their livestock to the bolts of lightning. Israel was singing this. During the Gibeonite deception, the Gibeonites said, Joshua 9, 9, From a very distant country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt. And the Philistines used the plagues as a rallying cry in 1 Samuel 4, 8, Woe to us! <laughs> Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. God made himself famous, beloved, by these plagues. In fact, what did the spies discover when they come to Rahab? Plagues? God crossed the Red Sea, and Rahab's saying 40 years later, yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> I heard about how God brought you out across the Red Sea, and, and Rahab's a believer. So God's making himself great by means of these plagues, by means of Pharaoh's hard heart. And he's doing the same thing today. He did it, he did it about 2,000 years ago, beloved. Centuries later, someone else's heart was hardened. His, heart was Judas, his name was Judas Iscariot. He saw things that would have made Pharaoh blush, he saw Jesus, God not just in foreshadowed glory in the plagues, but God in all of his glory in Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father. He saw him work miracles. He heard his teaching. He saw him have caused lame people to walk, blind people to see, saw all of it, went around evangelizing. And yet in the upper room, Satan entered his heart and Judas betrayed him. And God also used Herod and Pilate, their hard hearts, to accomplish redemption so that through them, Jesus might indeed go all the way down this path, all the way to the cross. And you know what happened after that? The resurrection and God made his name great. God used hard hearts, people who just don't believe. God used them to make his name great. And then we've got this guy named Paul, whom God saved as well, turned his hard heart into a fleshly heart and had him spread this great news all around the world. So, beloved, right now we're listening to a gospel that comes to us by means of pe some people's hard hearts. It's, it's humbling, I hope. One of the things I took from this is simply this. Why aren't I Pharaoh Ramesses? Why aren't I Judas Iscariot? Why aren't any of us in this room the Pilots and the Herods? There is no reason but for the grace of God. God's grace is amazing, beloved, isn't it? It found you. It found me. God showed up and he didn't have to. We could have just as well been those who were used to display God's glory, but not by singing in heaven forever, but by undergoing his wrath in hell forever. The last thing I'd like us to take a look at is that hard hearts glorify God by demonstrating what we've been saved from. Paul takes this notion of Pharaoh's hard heart in Romans 9, and he does something with it that I think is important for us to see. In uh, Romans uh, 9, he writes this, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And then in Romans 9, down in verses 22 and 23, just a few verses later, Paul writes this, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. 
What if God raised up Pharaoh and displayed his wrath so that he can make known to vessels of mercy, you and me, the riches of his glory? Paul doesn't say that's the case. He asks the question, what if? What if that's the case? I want us to see, hopefully, that hard hearts demonstrate what we've been saved from, beloved, when we see God's wrath poured out. What if God wanted to show us through Pharaoh all we've been delivered from? What if God wanted to demonstrate through Pharaoh just how horrible his justice is? Hail like we've never seen. Livestock dying all over the place. A river that is the center of your whole economy turned to blood. And on and on the plagues go, all the way to the end, the worst one. What if God wanted all of us to just marvel at his glory and just kind of be stopped in our, stopped in our steps by looking at it? Uh, Moses, we're told in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, by faith Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses wasn't afraid of Pharaoh's anger. That's crazy. He should have been. Why wasn't he? Why could he leave Egypt? Because he saw God's wrath. And it made Pharaoh's anger look like nothing. Moses is getting a front row seat to this. And you might think, Moses, you leave Egypt, Pharaoh's coming after you, you're a dead man. That's, that's what all the Israelites thought before they crossed the, the Red Sea, right? Why'd you bring us out here to die with enough graves in Egypt? <laughs> we, we could have died in Egypt just fine. But Moses is looking at Pharaoh's wrath coming over the hill with all these chariots. And he says, this is nothing. I've seen the wrath of God Almighty. And that's way more than this. And so Moses could walk out of Egypt. He could do it without a problem at all. Beloved, what if God is showing his wrath through people so we can marvel at him and we can be sure that nothing else compares to this. And we're, and we're going to trust in him and we're going to love him and we're going to tell others about him. The ultimate display of this was found on the cross. You know, in Exodus 9:21, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness felt. And it was felt. They didn't see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. You know, it's a real great picture, isn't it? Because centuries later, the oddest thing in the world happened. Someone else came under judgment. The Egyptians were being judged for Pharaoh's hard heart, but Jesus was being judged for our hard hearts when he hung on the cross. The Egyptians were in darkness for three days, but Jesus was in darkness for three hours on the cross and then buried in the tomb until the third day. And the Egyptians were in darkness, they could feel. And Jesus was in darkness, he could feel as well. Thick darkness over the whole land for three hours. And I don't think it's accidental that in the midst of that darkness, what is Jesus doing? Before it, crying out. A darkness that could be felt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not my father, my father, but the only time in all the Gospels you ever hear Jesus calling his father, my God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in a desperate cry? Beloved, humbling, humbling that our Lord Jesus Christ underwent this judgment. And now as you look at that, the only conclusion we can walk away with this, or one of the conclusions is this, he underwent it so I wouldn't have to. He bore this so that I could go scot-free. Do you see what you've been delivered from, Christian? Do you see that you and I will never have to go through the plagues that are depicted in Revelation? We'll never have to go through God's judgment against our sin like Jesus did ever. We're free from that. Does this change? It should change our life forever. 
it does change our life forever. So let's walk out of here, redeem people, a people delighted to be redeemed, singing along with the Israelites when they were on the opposite shore of the Red Sea, delighted that God's delivered us. Let's pray.